Hello and welcome to Royale Without Cheese, our bi-weekly podcast in which we discuss both the classic and the unknown of Hollywood and foreign cinema from the then and now. We are your hosts, me, Tomás Ferreira, Leonard Miranda. Hey, hey, hey. And Miguel Aido. What is up? Three filmmakers in an informal dialogue with a film review each episode. As part of our program, or should I say, frolicking, reviews in both English and Portuguese will be available for different listeners. Today's episode will be in English and we'll be having a go at Ernst Lubitsch's Trouble in Paradise. Portuguese speakers can head to the Portuguese labeled content section. Now sit back and hope you enjoy. It was me essentially who chose Trouble in Paradise. And I think Trouble in Paradise sits like at the middle point of his career. He started making films in 1915 in Germany, like silent, silent shorts. Uh, and then he died in 1947. His last film comes out in 1948. It's finished by Otto Preminger. Yeah, and he has like three distinct phases, I would say. Even within those phases of his career, there are still many distinctions that can be made. You have the silent period, you have the, the pre-code era musicals, and not really musicals, but still with the same pre-code vibe and, and kind of deal. Uh, and then you have the post-37, because between 1934-1937, Lubitsch stopped directing for a while, he became like the head of production of Paramount, he, he got that opportunity. So he took it, then he realized, I fucking hate this, this, this is shit, <laughs> want to make films. So he came back in 1937. And I'd say that then is probably the period of his most still well-known and still impactful films, even though Trouble in Paradise is probably considered by most people, most historians and cinephiles like as his masterpiece or is the, the, the greatest achievement. I think he also said uh, he thought it was his best film. Yeah, he said it was like the one that like, it was his pure style, the one where he, mm. he came to like almost a perfect encapsulation of his style. And yeah, but that's, that's Lubitsch in, in, in pure like filmography terms. What did, what did you guys think of it? Uh, well, I, um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I, I said, um, I said this uh, to Tomás yesterday. I think I, it's probably the, the funniest film I, I, I've seen. Um, that is um, from this time. Um, I mean, usually it's not that, you know, old comedies are, are bad or, or, or anything like it, but um, Sometimes it's a bit harder to connect to these films, especially comedies, because they're so um, stuck in time sometimes. Um, but with this one, I found it really, really amazing that um, I could connect with the film so well. And um, I laughed a lot, a lot, of, a lot of lines, a lot of scenes. Um, yeah. What about you, Much? <laughs> well, I think that really one of the biggest um, 
strengths of the film, let's say. Yes, one of the biggest strengths of the film, if not the most interesting component of the film to me. It's not entirely um, the mise-en-scene in terms of innovations or even the plot itself, but how the, act, the acting functions in the way of humor. Uh, and this is the irony, the specificity of behavior, the misunderstandings or double meaning of words. I think that's where the film really shines. And in that manner, uh, when we uh, you know, uh, are talking about subtlety, uh, you know, in, 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 in films and the achieving of subtext. I think in the way of humor, this film is a really great example of that uh, in a way to really uh, show um, character. Even if the characters that are being presented to us, in my opinion, in this film are really one dimensional and cartoony. I mean, Gaston Montesquieu, it's, it's, <laughs> the name itself is very mm, mustache twirling thieve <laughs> making bloody my blood. And, uh, you know, and it's cartoony in its way. Uh, for example, there's something very, uh, very much of, how would you say it? Uh, archetypal in the way of uh, having Gaston, you know, the thief and, and his girlfriend interchanging these, um, exchanging, I mean, these skills that they have. Oh, I stole, I stole this from you. Oh, I know. Or did you forget your wall? You know, just kind of this little sh sharing. But it's it's so charming the way that the actors present this. And probably was you know one of the first times in cinema that we we've seen this kind of um, uh, what's what would be the word for it? Uh, I don't know what you mean. Like a, <laughs> this 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 charming. Uh, change uh, of skills that are clearly uh, condemnable, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the amorality. Exactly the morality, but you're treating it completely, you know, fine, like like it is uh, indeed, uh, you know, conversation that you'd have daily, and they're just, you know, they're amused. That would, that's it. That's the word. I think there's a, a really uh, natural amusement to what they're doing and and how they're knowing each other through the the thieving. And it, but it's a very archetypal situation of how how would thieves would behave themselves. They, they would exhibit their own skills to, to one another and each other, especially if they are friends or, in this case, lovers. And it's that situation, why do I call it archetypal? Because nowadays you feel like you have seen this in some other media. It's in the conscious collective, in the collective conscience, I mean, of everyone else. I mean, I've seen these two having a go at each other. These two has in the role of two thieves kind of stealing from each other and, you know, winking at the audience and pulling this little wallet from their, um, under their sleeves. And um, I think that precisely that what I was saying in the beginning is that there's a lot to be said about this film in the way of how they show character without saying anything and through very uh, strong and caricature-like expression, uh, uh, expressions. For example, I really love the character of I think it's uh, he is Francois. He, he, he's one of the lovers of uh, Madame Collet, or uh, or or Mr. Philippa. That's the same name, yes, Mr. Philippa or Francois, as he's called, the major. Yes, yes. There's also the major. The the major is oh uh, yeah, there are two different guys. It's the major and Mr. Philippa, exactly. Like I love the interchange, like the little interchanges between both of them you know it's like uh, <laughs> when they're at the opera and the guy is like goodbye goodbye <laughs> goodbye 
like, go out there, and then she, and then she goes. <laughs> Listen, my lad, I wish you'd just yeah. say, how do you do and go? <laughs> yeah, but he's always saying, my good man, my, my good man. man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then his expressions when he's uh, when he's little, little by little realizing that uh, Monsieur Laval is uh, Monsieur is like. <laughs> mm. just, I mean, Edward, a... the, the actor is Edward Everett Orton, which yeah. is like one of his selling points, like in one of the reasons, like he was so celebrated as a character actor. He's, he was known as like the, the king of the double take, which is the, you know, oh, yeah, you react yeah, to yeah, something yeah. and then you would. <laughs> so like <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. in every film, he does like insane shit like that. He also stars in many like um, Ginger Rogers and, and Fred Astaire films. Uh, I I had I had seen them before in uh, Design for Living, I think, uh, which is also a Lubitsch film. So I was very happy to see him again because he was one of the the best things about that film. I think he's he's very. I mean, to me, the word you know, he's delicious. You know, it's delicious to see him playing such a comical villain. You know, uh, yeah, because he's so dumb. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's he's like, an idiot. He's, he's an idiot. So it's it's. He, he he's really skillful at being an idiot. That's how appreciative I am of him. It's it's that in my mind's eye. Yeah. I think uh, when he was hit in the head, he probably got some <laughs> damage, brain damage. <laughs> Very yeah. likely. I would say that I disagree with you in the in per, like you say that the characters are very one dimensional. I agreed with you the first time I watched the film. I was like, yeah, this is all very like surface level. But the more I rewatch it, the more like I think I was coming from a perspective, like from a drama, a drama film, and that's how I associate perspective, like depth. But this film, like the depth comes from comedy itself. It's all in the comedy, even though like there's underneath the surface, there's like a, a dramatic element of, you know, like a guy falling in love with two women and like feeling sort of guilty, but not really about stealing. But, you know, it's all very it all remains in the realm of comedy and it doesn't really leave that. It just hints at little more, uh, like more, a certain moral conflict within characters, but it's all very light and smooth. And so it's, I think it's, it creates this like deceitful nature that you think, oh, this is all like, it doesn't matter. Or it's the characters um, are caricatures where, the more I watch it, I don't think it like, especially by the end when you see Kay Francis, the, the character, Madame Collet, like looking at the door after uh, Gaston leaves to go after the after Marion Hopkins, which is Lily, right? And, and he keeps the camera on on her looking at that door, at the closed door for a while. And he lingers on it like more than you think. And I think it, it like you do feel for that character, for the rich woman for a minute, because like, she, you know, she's kind of disconnected from the real world. She found this guy and he seemed interested in her, but after all, it's all the money that he cares about. Everyone only cares about her because of her money. And so I, I do think there's a way to it. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, you talk about the end and the third act. Um, you know, you also feel that sort of sorrow for Gaston when, when he's talking to, to Mariette. Um, when they're at the window and he's saying, you know, just because, you know, this guy, you know, is in a family and, you know, you're going to excuse him. But when it's me, you're not going to be the same, the same, you know, I have the same attitude. So 
I mean, you really, you, and you understand his point. So um, I think there's more to be said uh, about these characters. Um, and I, I agree that the acting really does um, go a long, a long way, but uh, I mean, really just, uh, I think the plot is more complex than, 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 than meets the eye, I'd say. I agree, I agree. Especially towards the end. Probably it's a symptom, like you say, of being a, f a first watcher of the film. So, yeah. But I totally understand. I find interesting the to see it from that angle of the, uh, the the depth is totally from the comedy, which has many layers. And in fact, when we talk about it, we talk about that element itself, the comedy, and how many layers it has. Uh, but it's interesting to to link the comedy to the manifestation or expression of the drama that may be in the yeah. film. I would say, um, like mm -hmm. a scene that is most emblematic of that. Like of a, that perfectly encapsulates the feel that towards it's throughout the whole film. It's like the scene where he orders the flowers. He's like and make it for you know for the late um, Monsieur Laval, right? So he's like he's dead, but he's not dead. But then at the end, he says like, "Who should you?" They ask, "So who should you charge it for?" And he says, "Oh, <laughs> right. Madame Colette, of course." So it's like there's a he's like connecting to her and saying like i enjoyed my time with you whatever but at the end it's still the money and there's still uh the comedy at the end like it's showing the tongue-in-cheekness that Lubitsch always brings and i think and the, the timing song, yeah, it's the yeah timing exactly of that line. exactly and the, the perfect balancing between cynicism and a little bit of romanticism just a little you know an underlying Current, current time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A little sadness, a little melancholy. Yeah. It's an interesting example because, um, yeah, most times where there's an inkling of drama, you, you have, you know, scenes like those were kind of interrupted by a bit of comedy at the end or some cheeky line. Um, except maybe for the end. So, as we said, uh, probably the most sort of. Um, the, the longest bit of seriousness is towards the end. Um, but then, of course, you get interrupted by uh, by by that line that uh, Kay says, like, um, Calais and company as she looks to Gaston, um, which was nice. But yeah, that scene you said specifically, I mean, it's one of, it's, it happens all the time in this film. I mean, the drama can't see too, too deep because immediately you have to throw in uh, some line. Um, that's that was really interesting. Yeah, so very. He's like always looking for a joke. Like there's a line in one of his films, which is, "To be or not to be," where a character says, "A, a, a laugh is nothing to be sneezed at." And he's like, "Okay." He's like, "If there's a laugh here, we're gonna go for the laugh," and uh, I don't think it ever, unlike certain films, like like a Marvel film, for example, where they try to put laughs just for you know just to make it just, is i don't even know why but here i feel like it doesn't on, the, on that on on the respect of marvel just to compare it to humor in the lubitsch film and to answer to your question which was like i don't know why to do it i've seen kevin feige say why you know he basically uses the the, the laughter as an instrument a device to really easily uh grab the audience's attention and so they can because through laughter as we know you know our daily lives we use laughter to really ha instantly connect with people on a first basis on a first impression basis and that's how you know we become friendly with people very quickly and very naturally because of laughter and that's 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 where he's coming from i've seen him say that i, I 
that's what I want. If you if you get them to laugh, they are, they become like it. They empathize with the characters. I want to see more of this guy. I want to see more of Doctor Strange. Yeah, but they, they use it so much. Stupid. It becomes much more than just. Uh... Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm just saying what is his rationality yeah. behind it. I, think I don't saying, agree with it though. It makes sense. In but like it makes sense for, for what he wants and for what yeah. Marvel movies are. But it's also very manipulative. Very manipulative, it's and it becomes very genuine. It's sour milk, you know, sour milk. It's just <laughs> no, and it gets to the point where every character is funny yeah. and everyone is making exactly. a joke at all. That's at the everything. problem. It's like they have no actual character. They're all just a funny guy yeah. with different, like different flavors of funny guy. But they're all the funny guy. Or if the script, like, oh, we need a joke here. Who do we have here? Oh, there's the Hulk. He'll make a joke. Sure, fuck it. It's like. Understand the character first. While in Lubitsch, it's all part of the universe of how things operate, and it's consistently there. Yeah, the world is funny. Like every, you know, the movie opens with that also very Lubitschian. It's very celebrated as well. How do we present uh, Venice? Yeah, it's in it. Uh, so we start with the trash, like the trash man picking up the trash. That's a very interesting beginning to a film. I was very confused. <laughs> I was very you confused. You see the little boat and the little river, yeah. and then you see Venice. Uh, like it's because he's always trying to. How do we do something without doing it? Uh, I think that's uh, very interesting the way he opens and how you describe uh, that he um, chooses to open based on that question of what's the way to do this. That is how do you how do you say it? How to do it without doing it? Yeah, how to do it without doing it. That's very interesting. I'm I'm gonna start using that. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's. Do I think that comes from the screenwriter, which Lubitsch worked with a lot, which is uh, Samson Raphaelson, which is like a weird oh, name. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you worked it. with him on a bunch of films, on some films, some of his best films as well. Um, and yeah, he was talking about the Lubitsch process. And he, and he was essentially like, how do we get to a place? So we want to set up Venice. And what's the traditional way of doing? So you have, you know, a, a, a wide shot of Venice and you go to a, a you know, a close shot of a, a gondola or whatever it's called. Yeah. And then you go to the place where you want to go. You go to meet Gaston at whatever he's doing. So how do we do that? How do we get to that place without doing it? So he's like, okay, there's the trash man because there's trash in Venice, right? <laughs> and how do they <laughs> yeah. transport the trash in Venice? Probably through gondolas. So, you know, start with the trash man to the gondola. And then he starts singing O Solo Mio or whatever it is with a deep voice. So like everything, immediately you're like in this like, the cheeky nature of a Lubitsch film. As per the ambition of the mise-en-scene at certain points, I am surprised uh, in the sense that, uh, for example, in Venice, now we're talking about it, there's this uh, very long shot from one balcony to the next of the scene of the crime where Around Francois, yeah, 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 where Francois or Mr. Philippan is, is left to where um, uh, Gaston is. And it's it has cuts in between, but it's funny to see that this would is probably one of the earliest uh, examples of a long shot and around this building <laughs> which of course you can see the machinations behind it the cuts the the model but you will really appreciate the ambition in trying to do it and it really also implies something that is very f funny to me 
because you could almost say that the shot has a certain uh, chronological continuity in terms of what is the, the temporal aspect, the, the, the time uh, aspect of the shot, which means that by the time you come to Gaston, he's there on the balcony. Uh, of course, he's there on the balcony. He, 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 but when you think about it, you have just come from a scene where you see Gaston, this mysterious man, leaving the scene of the crime and suddenly go around the building and you have this completely natural man. Oh, no, I didn't do anything. I'm just, you know, this some other socialite. So you will never connect the two. But the shot is clearly, I don't think it's an ellipsis. It works as something that is continuous. So in the very, what I mean to say is that the very narrative and technical device of the shot works in the sense of the comedy. It's just to say that these two people, although it sounds that these, they are the same person because they feel to be the protagonist, they are different. The, the robber and this high socialite we come to uh, see now. But then by way of the story, you, you do understand that they are the same person. Yeah, I also think I, I, I like, I, I didn't notice on the first time I watched, but when the, um, the one was like, yes, Baron, hello, Baron, whatever. Like the, when he, by the end of that scene, he like, he picks up a little, like a, a leaf and it's like, oh, okay. Like, I didn't, the first time I watched, I didn't realize that's essentially Lubitsch confirming like, yeah, this was the guy who jumped from the balcony into the oh, trees. Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah I, the first time I watched, I was like, what, who cares? It's just a leaf, why are you showing <laughs> this? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, well, that's a pretty interesting detail. Yeah, he is, he's very attentive to details yeah well, perceptive yeah very perceptive man and yeah uh, in regards to the filmmaking i think lubich is a weird one because especially designed for a living for example which is a film i don't care much for i like it it's good but I, it's not one of my favorites at all from lubich no it didn't have a great reaction to it neither but the, the frustrating thing about Lubitsch is that it all seems very simple, just a bunch of medium shots a lot of times, two people talking front to front. Not quite a depth of field exploration. Yeah, not a lot of depth like of field. A... There's like, but there's also like, he seemed, like he's doing more than that, like, because there's a, I don't know, you watch the film, it seems so complex, the relationships and the, the way he jumps around from place to place a lot of times, to a point it's kind of annoying to me, because I, what are you doing? <laughs> How are you doing like how am i so impressed with the filmmaking but at the same time i'm looking at it and it seems so mundane although trouble in paradise probably it does have a lot of flair uh, in a lot of times like the the shot with the clock where you stay on a long time with the clock exactly. like i was just mentioning you know mise-en-scene ambition and that's one other scene that i find interesting just to show the progression of their relationship over a night are they going to are they not going to have sex you know that's kind of the question and it's all shown through clocks and where they go and how they come back to the house and have they have do they have dinner or not or for example in the way of behavior specificity the acting in the sense of humor and innuendos and the subtlety you have also um mariette i think uh gaston's girlfriend they arranged to flee on the next morning lily. because lily yeah. uh because um yeah mariette is uh, madame colette but um, they arranged to flee on the next morning and because uh, Francois is just about to figure it out. So it's right about the time that Gaston is having the dinner and going out with Madame Moulcolette and um, he never picks up the phone. He never picks up the phone. And so you have this alternate, uh, this parallel montage, this parallel editing, really, with, of her just packing up 
very quickly. And the moment that he does not pick up the phone, it, it, it's not like she becomes paranoid. She becomes paranoid, but very quietly. She starts singing, sing-songging, you know, like, la 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 And you see that, you know, she's really worried and she's just kind of suiting herself. Not, uh, and it's kind of funny at the same time, you know, I think within character. Um, yeah, he kind of, he gets it to laugh or to smirk without saying anything, you know, just with... Yeah. Behavior, which I found. Exactly, yeah. I love that scene as well. Where he's yeah. sweet. I think it's like very a quirkiness that is uh, very specific, but at the same time functions very well. I don't know if you remember the scene of, of Jack going up and down the stairs. Uh, just sort of mumbling. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't really tell what he's saying. Just It's rah, great. Rah, 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 rah. It's great, yeah, yeah. That's like, great. Like five times, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Because by the fifth time, you're already saying, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And he starts doing it. You know, it's, it's great. When a filmmaker kind of makes you interact with the characters like this, like if you were this virgin spectator from the beginning of the 1910s, still interacting with film for the first time, we still have that uh, impulse from the very early days of, of, of film to interact with characters, which I find interesting. And so on this particular case, you have this situation that you brought up of the waiter going down the stairs. <laughs> I start already guessing that he's going to do it. Anyway. I mean, and I, and I don't really know the history of, of gags, of running gags, but I mean, this is like a, almost a precursor because, you know, in, in small bits here and there, you got characters doing the same thing comedically that, that then the audience really connects with and interacts with and uh i mean again I, I don't know how often this happened before but i mean this happens a lot in this film yeah yeah that it happens uh, especially keaton and and chaplin chaplin is very important influence on lubitsch especially there's one film from chaplin which is a woman of paris which is like it's the least not least but like one of the least Chaplin films of Chaplin because it's a 1923 film does not have Chaplin at all he's just uh he, he has a cameo like a Hitchcock type but not really it's more of a melodrama not really it's hard to describe essentially about you know a woman a poor woman who goes to Paris and starts hanging out with uh, you know the high society and she becomes sort of disconnected from her more humble beginnings but it's but it is very Lubitschian. You watch it, and I was like, okay, I totally understand why Lubitsch references this as like the film that sort of started to push him in a different direction than from his uh, silent initial silent German films, which were more much more explicitly sexual, and he started started going towards something a bit more, you know, looking at implying innuendos and yeah, implying yeah. also, you know taking these like the bourgeois society or whatever and looking at them comedically but with that yeah that that subtlety that he does but yeah the film has many running gags for troubling paradox i love the in times like these 300 francs well now you get 350 francs all right oh, oh, oh you're so sweet for words and then she goes away it's just the laughter the 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 lengthiness of it and how <laughs> she exaggerates it's, it's very funny and you guys remember that line you know it's when the um when she's um interviewing people 
that uh that might have her back and uh there's this guy that appears foreign yeah and uh he goes like fooey fooey and then gaston uh, replies something like his fooey is worse than his bite or something in terms of character which i find interesting well you were mentioned you did mention jack has has a running guy that you like uh, miguel i think one of the interesting things in terms of mizancene is also how he goes back to the stairs as a, a device to show uh gaston's mean deeds you know it's always the he's between two realms of the the hidden rooms uh you know the the master planning and, and being with the socialite life down below the parties where he never quite is. It's always, it's always shows him kind of running in a hurry, up and down, you know, kind of between always between two worlds and the stairs are always uh, so much turned to to show that. And the other interesting thing is the first encounter with Madame Colette in terms of character, because you see him constantly appearing and disappearing. You know, he turns to him, he, she turns to him and he's not there anymore. Or when she's not looking, she's kind of looking behind stuff <laughs> to see a safe. So yeah, I find that very interesting. Yeah, and and uh, I just remember something um, from my notes, <laughs> but um, we were talking about uh, you know gags and uh, stuff like that. Um, but in, even directing wise, um, if you think about it, I mean, the whole play with the doors, you know, one is Gaston's room, the other is um, Maquette's room. And you have that constantly playing where you don't really know who's going to come out of, of which door. Um, more towards the end, and especially when Jack comes in and, you know, he's always confused, like, okay, who is who is he? Who is here now? Um, that's uh, that's interesting as well. Doors in general in Blue Beach are essentially a straight mark. The door is one of the most recurring things and one of the clearest when you watch a bunch of Luby films, they're like, this man loved the door. So the fuck is wrong with you? Because <laughs> he's always shooting doors. But the door, essentially, it's like the, he loves the doors because of what happens behind the door, what happens behind the, you know, in the bed. I think also uh, one interesting connection between what we're about to talk about as well, uh, between this film and Days and Confused is the music and how the music plays into uh, uh, bringing well, it's it, of course in both films there it's not it's not as if they are the same meaning or the same function precisely in both films, but it brings has has uh, in a way of what they have in common is a certain lightness, and in the case of more specifically in the case of um, Trouble in Paradise, the music functions, I think, to the intentions of Lubitsch as something that is very much a part of the comedy and the caricature and the exaggeration because in these films of, of the first half well the classical hollywood mainly you would have a lot of classical musical and music and orchestration going along uh, with the both dramas melodramas other genres well mainly those and that will be it essentially there's some much variation here i think you still have that but i would like to think that lubich is intentionally using the music in such a way that it is comedy. It is. I mean, you know, you have these highs and lows with characters' expressions, and Francois is such a, or Mr. Philibam is such a great example of that. When he is talking with the Italian police, describing this man, they are more interested about 
his tonsils and the actual crap. And it's all, you know, I think in that scene is a good example of how the music goes along with the actions. And also, uh, in the once again, in terms of behavior specificity, how uh, he's playing along with the language and uh, in terms more and to another level, the acting is also part of the music. There's this, the acting and, and the voice range of, the, of these actors is so much part of uh, what is the humor of the film and, and, and the music as well. You know, on one end, you have the Italians going, and he goes, so this happened, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it becomes calmer than he goes there. So it's it's a dance. It's, it's such a, you know, a choreography, I think. That's the word I have for it. Yeah, Gaston and Mariette have a lot of these sort of uh, intimate one-on-one um, -on -one dialogues where um, it's really like a dance, as you say, or like small poetry, um, very um, they call themselves moments. They call yeah. themselves names, like in little steps. It's almost yeah. like they're singing or they're starting to sing something. Uh, and again, as you said, the, the voices really help, so they have a lot of great control of... of of you know dynamic range in terms of how they how they place their voices i mean it's it's really interesting to see in that regard like the whole film is like they're essentially role-playing especially the lily and and gaston there's that whole performative thing of them you know enacting a role and how the film essentially all this is like so you have the the, the thievery right you have the role playing itself of them pretending. Then you have the sexuality, and the, everything is connected. Like when when Lily and Gaston they're, they're like stealing from each other playfully. Like that's essentially a sex scene without being a sex scene. Or when or when he steals from Mariette. Like when he Lubitsch is very like very dirty minded. Clearly, so like there's the whole thing of putting the hand inside the purse or putting the hand inside the the. A safe, you know, like that. The... Even the money in the safe is a sex appeal. Next week comes more sex appeal. <laughs> exactly. So everything, yeah, money, sex, and the act of robbing itself, everything is connected in that sense. I think yeah. it creates that that mood of the film of you know, everything is sensual, erotic, but it, without him directly going there. Because one thing I want to talk about is. Like, so this is a pre-code film, but for Lubitsch, I feel like that doesn't really matter in terms of sexuality, because if you watch even his post-code film, the, it's, it's more or less the same thing. Like, he gets his point across pretty well, very directly. It's like, it, for him, it didn't matter that much. What mattered, and specifically in this film, is the, the morality, because in the film, the thieves win. Like, they, it's not that they win, it's that they're, you know, by the end, it's all very light. They're back together. They get away with most of it, and they're not really punished. Especially, you know, the code would would say that the woman specifically would have to be punished for, you know, for her bad deeds or being like that. And uh, Marion Hopkins and Kay Francis specifically, like they were very emblematic of the pre-code era. Especially Kay Francis, probably, um, to the point where they after 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 the the code came into action they start, she specifically sort of sort of suffered in her career because she was very much like a a, a symbol not re a symbol necessarily but she was emblematic of those very sexual films very forward thinking in terms of you know what a woman 
can do and be. Their sex appeal is there explicitly without being just an object of desire for men. They, they have sex appeal, but they're also other stuff. They have other stuff. Yeah, I mean, in that regard, this film, I mean, the film constantly questions gender roles and, you know, who is a secretary, who isn't, and um, what is marriage, and um, what isn't. So, I mean, yeah, it's. When you look at it um, historically, considering it's pre-code, I mean, you really get a sense of of, of these uh, last or late experiments that they were being um, allowed to do before eventually it stopped. Um, but yeah, but I think the film gains complexity in all of these things um, that is able to explore beyond just the, the love triangle and then the comedy. Um, well, yeah, the comedy around it. Um, I just wanted to add something which is about the music. Um, I mean, for me, I think it's a little um, disappointing that the music doesn't reflect as much the sort of sensual sensuality. Um, although it reflects a sort of comedy light nature, it's all very, um, you know, serene and, and jolly. Um, I think it's pretty much it. It doesn't do much else. Um, at times it becomes a bit, um, it reflects the comedy, like when Jack is, uh, not Jack, uh, Gaston is going up the, up and down the stairs and you have sort of the violins sort of emulating the, that behavior, um, which is, you know, a specific case where music really comes to aid the comedy. Um, but I think in most cases, it's just that theme sort of repeated which is interesting and sort of fun, but um, doesn't do much else. And when Tomaj, you were talking about comparing to Days and Confused, I mean, I think Days probably does a better job because it, it really serves as an identifier of a time. And, you know, all these music by Aerosmith and all these it's bands. So in my, for my taste, but yeah, we'll be talking little, about that. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit, but, but, but I think in terms of what is the the purpose of of putting this this music here um it probably has a better effect in days and confused than what than i will Trouble say though is that right like it's 1932 so music in films is still very much being figured out yeah it's like true. They, yeah and so although i completely agree with you i, I do feel like it's missing more sensuality in the music itself and a bit more more cohesiveness musically. I will say that the film doesn't just do what was typical of a lot of comedies back then, which is the Mickey Mouse, which is you know the music repeating like mimicking what the actors is doing. Right? They want like a fat guy comes in, they go to boom boom boom. It's like it, it does much more than that. So it has a theme, it has a, no, yeah, a yeah, recurring uh, a recurring motive, and I think that's very. It goes to show that Lubitsch was already clearly because he also comes from musicals. He was using music as much more than just like a companion, but also as a punctuation. That's all for today, folks. Uh, if you'd like to reach out and suggest a film for the next episode, you can find us on the podcast official Instagram and Facebook pages. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. <laughs>